0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves Podcast channel. Joining us once again for the weekly CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation. Glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, great to be back with you on this holiday shortened week. Hope you had a nice weekend and looking forward to catching up and seeing where markets are at just a few weeks here into 2023.
1: Good morning, Daniel. Happy Tuesday.
0: So, Jason, it has been quite a start to the year. Just looking at markets, we see equities are higher, bond yields are lower, and investor sentiment coming off a very low level. So, let's dive into what exactly has occurred here and why and what this means for the investment outlook on a going-forward basis. Maybe, Jason, can you begin by summarizing for us the performance across financial markets so far here in 2023? What stands out really in a year that is already off to an eventful start?
1: Well, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, I would say financial market performance in the first two weeks of 2023 is the anti-2022 or the kind of bizarro version of 2022 you know, many assets that were down, in some cases, quite substantially last year, you know, whether it's kind of equities broadly defined, uh, you know, bonds, especially high-quality bonds, uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, uh, ones that were down. significantly. So, they're up uh, already two weeks in it and by some pretty decent amounts. So, let's, you know, take, you know, in the fixed-income space, treasury yields are down anywhere from, you know, 19 basis points for the two-year to 39, 37 basis points for five- and 10-year bonds. Which means that US government bonds, kind of the broad index, you know, that last year were down you know fifteen percent approximately. They're already up kind of year to date, you know, around two and a half to three percent. But then if you look at you know twenty year plus treasury bonds, that were down thirty-one percent last year. This year they're already up six and a half percent. and you can see similar on for, for corporate credit, that was down, you know, kind of low to mid teens, whether it's investment grade or high yield. This year it's up around three and a half percent or three to four percent. Flipping to equities, you know, p was down twenty percent last year. This year it is up already, you know, five percent. But then if you go into you know look a little more at the details, um, you know, things that were did well last year, you know, commodities were up sixteen percent in some cases more, at one point or the other up over like you know, thirty percent. The US dollar at some point was up uh sixteen percent you know, on a sort of a broad kind of trade win basket, um, still finished up significantly last year in you know, two of the biggest winners. Both of them are down slightly to start the year, at least as of you know, Friday's trading activity. So, you know, again, a reversal. They were the winners. This year, they're the losers. Uh, if you then you look into the details, let say, of equity markets, it is a kind of a pro-cyclical rotation. Uh, you know, you can see small caps outperforming large caps in the U.S. And then some of the kind of higher beta markets or more economically sensitive markets, like the Eurozone equities, the equities, China equities, they're all up, you know, you know 8 9%, 12% in the case of China and then in U.S. sectors, you know, the two worst performing sectors last year were consumer discretionary communication services. You know, they were both down, uh, you know, of like 37 or 41% in that range. And this year, the leaders of the market, you know, up, uh, you know, 89%. So really, it's not quite a mirror image because we're only two weeks in. But it's a complete sort of flip in terms of the biggest underperformers last year are by and large kind of leading, you know, the markets this year. And the winners last year are, are uh, you know, the kind of laggards thus far two weeks in. So it's a pretty noticeable kind of flip uh, once the calendar year turned.
0: It's interesting, Jason, hearing about the performance and some of the differences from 2022 to 2023. So now that we have a better understanding of what the performance looks like as of today, can you spend a few moments getting into the drivers behind it?
1: Well, I think over the news over the past month has increased the probability that we actually get sort of a soft landing in the U.S. economy and the global economy as well, and it's reduced the the kind of the far downside tail risks of a, of a harder landing uh, and more adverse scenarios so on on the U.S. and again on a global basis. And because of that, you've seen the markets sort of respond accordingly. Is the kind of the outlook has improved on the fundamental perspective? Uh, you know, you've seen the markets kind of you know price that in. We can sort of point to three kind of factors that are widely cited. So there's nothing sort of unique about what I'm going to say. Uh yeah, you know, but China dropping its zero COVID policies in December and then essentially reopening everything, you know, much sooner than anticipated. You know, the thought was just gonna happen by the third quarter and actually it's happening in, in Q one. And while China's going through a significant COVID wave, you know, some of the data we're seeing out of China in terms of just mobility has come back surprisingly quickly, at least in some of the bigger cities. So that's you know, the prospects of, of sort of China growth reaccelerating as soon as late Q one is is kind of you know, that's a bit one factor. Uh, a second factor is, you know, the European outlooks, um, it's definitely benefited from warm than expected weather, uh, as a result, the need for, you know, for oil and gas to heat, uh, and so just as an energy source has declined, uh, and there is a result, you've seen energy prices and natural gas prices are down 80% since last September, uh, and fears of having to do any sort of rationing, those have been abated, and given that, you know, where the storage levels are, you know, I think the, the worst is over. Um, at least in the near term, the fears are over, so Europe is definitely outlook it looks better. And even some of the data we're seeing is actually showing a bit of uptick in, in European and economic activity. And then turning to the U.S., you know, the data we've gotten this year and over the past month or so is, you, know, you might call it kind of Goldilocks lights. Now, inflation data has been kind of pretty consistently surprising to the downside, uh, you know, better than expected. At the same time, we've seen the labor market and job growth hold up you know, fairly resiliently. So this is sort of the ideal outcome. You know, jobs stay resilient and inflation comes down. So you add all those things together, China, Europe, the U.S., they're all kind of moved in, in the right direction and better than expected outcomes. You know, we thought 2023, as part of our year ahead outlook, would be a year of inflections in which economic growth, you know, would trough and then start to improve. Inflation would roll over where it already wasn't doing that in 2022. And then you'd be able to see central banks, like the Fed, pausing rate hikes, uh, and, and potentially even starting to cut later this year. What's happened is given its economic data, is the time of those inflection points is uh, being pulled forward. Certainly for China's uh, you know, kind of growth cropping and reaccelerating, it can happen this quarter. Europe, you know, similar by the second quarter of this year. Um, the better inflation news in the Fed means that the pause might only be two months away. You know, the Fed might hike two more times uh, at the end of January and then in mid March and then be done. So after we get those positive inflection points, the expectation was that the market outlook would improve. The fact that we pulled those forward or some of them forward is what's sort of driving the markets. The one thing I would say, though, there's also, as the calendar year turns, you get investors who kind of adjust their portfolios. Uh, and as these fundamental news have, have gotten better, you're also seeing investors who weren't positioned for that, they you know, kind of scrambling to kind of cover short positions, adjust portfolio allocations. So there is a sort of a you know, technical kind of component to this. That, uh that is important to acknowledge. It's not just purely fundamental, but some of what's driving some of the extreme moves are, you know, people kind of reacting to the shifting macro environment after extreme performance one year. And I think that is also sort of driving some of the market performance this year. So you might have to take a little bit of the price action with a grain of salt, given some of that portfolio adjustment.
0: So, Jason, sticking with that last point you mentioned on how technical factors like short covering may be distorting the extent that fundamental improvement is driving the markets. I know in your recent blog, titled Real or Fake, by the way, is available now up on UBS.com slash CIO, though within that blog, Jason, you do highlight three fundamental factors that are currently giving positive signals. But, could turn out to be head fakes, so to speak. So what exactly are those, Jason, and what do you mean by that?
1: Well, what I mean is, is three different factors. Uh, inflation, the labor market, and monetary policy are all looking like they're getting better or more favorable. But this could also be a bit of a false dawn. So let's start with inflation. We're getting multiple data points, whether it is you know the labor market data on, on wage growth, uh, actual CPI, rent data, kind of across the board, a lot of the data is coming out surprising to the downside. Uh, and that has investors confident that, you know, at least headline inflation will fall pretty rapidly this year. Uh, and as soon as May, could be around 3% and, and trend back towards 2%, if not undershoot at some point of this year. Uh, and that's a positive story, but core inflation isn't coming down quite as quickly and services inflation still hasn't rolled over. Um, it's expected to uh, as, as the, you know, the indices start to incorporate moderation in the housing market. But there's as an assumption it will get better. And it could turn out that sort of core inflation and, and wage inflation could be far stickier than investors are currently presuming. Uh, and that's going to ha- require more Fed hikes than what we're assuming right now. So, again, a bit of a head fake that we think it's getting better, but it turns out not to be quite as good as investors are assuming on inflation. The second point is kind of related to deals with the labor market. Uh, it's showing good resiliency. We're still getting 200,000-plus jobs a month created. Uh, unemployment hasn't really ticked up if you look at you know, weekly initial jobless claims. Yet we're seeing you know, wage growth over the past year to moderate quite a bit. Um, and indicators suggest it will continue. This is probably the most critical thing to get the soft landing because you have to have both the labor market hold up in terms of jobs, but also wages come down and, and the overall labor market kind of get back into to more balance. But it's also possible that things could deteriorate quickly. Uh, you know, we're seeing sort of headlines of, of, of job losses. I think that's not, you know, probably more headline noise than it is kind of fundamental story. But things could deteriorate if companies really believe the demand is falling. They could start to, to lay off workers more significantly uh, so that you could get sort of a recession that way. Um or it could be the case that the labor market doesn't cool enough and wage growth doesn't come down enough, and it's going to require the Fed to do more again than we expect. So the sort of the, the trending right now towards a potential soft on the labor market that, again that could prove to be kind of a, a head fake. It could actually have to get worse before it gets better. And that leads to the third point in terms of monetary policy tightening and its impact. There's a view right now that it's pretty widely held that the the peak drag on U.S. economic growth stemming from tighter financial conditions last year is happening right now. And what we've actually seen over the past few months is an easing of financial conditions, which means that sort of impulse is actually positive for growth later on. So by mid-year, U.S. growth could sort of accelerate, especially with the rest of the world, doing a little bit better. So again, that's fueling some of the soft landing kind of views. But it's another plausible scenario, which is that the economic pain of these higher policy rates, and if it's still likely to raise rates you know, at least another 50 basis points, that's going to start to bite uh, you know, later this year, whether it's households who have to kind of refinance you know, on floating rate debt, or especially small businesses, which are some of the biggest drivers of, of hiring in this cycle, if they have to refinance and their financing costs go up quite a bit, and they could literally double almost over the course of, you know, this year versus the start of last year, that could lead to more economic pain, but not until later on this year. So, again, sort of what looks like it's, you know, trending towards the soft planning could prove to be a false, uh, you, know, um, you know, a head fake once you actually see how this all plays out. So that's the challenge right now is that there's definitely better news, But how much of this is sort of, you know, real trending towards kind of that ideal outcome or it's a little bit misleading? I think we have to sort of acknowledge that um, that it could be both.
0: So, Jason, from an investor's point of view, the question really becomes, what should I do after these significant market rallies? So with respect to asset allocation in that realm, Jason, what kind of guidance would you offer?
1: Well, first, to so like the market direction, I think the, the start this year, this kind of momentum across different asset classes, that could continue, at least in the very near term, I mean, like the next couple of weeks into February, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that investors, I think, were underprepared for this kind of, um, you know, kind of better news on economic fundamentals, which this earlier time of these inflection points that I alluded to earlier, and their positioning is not there. And what we're seeing even now, just some of the sentiment data that's come out over the weekend is getting a little bit better. But investors are still under-allocated, say, to equities versus cash and bonds. As they start to readjust, and if they do, that could provide a bit of a tailwind to catch up, in, at least in the very near term. Uh, and the second factor is that investors, as they get a little bit more optimistic, they seem to be interpreting any incoming news throughout what I call like a soft landing lens, meaning they can contextualize the data in terms of supporting a soft landing as opposed to thinking, oh, this is reaffirming my thesis that we're going to get a hard landing which means they kind of pounce on some sort of supportive data and they downplay data that does isn't support the thesis. I think a good example was on Friday when you know, some of the major banks reported their fourth quarter earnings, which came in kind of a line, but really what sort of unnerved the investors was that their guidance for this year in terms of profitability was maybe more cautious than people expected. Bank stocks opened on Friday down, um, you know, like almost a couple percentage points. But by then, the end, the, you know, banks and the financial sector overall had actually rallied to close in a positive territory. So again, what should have been maybe a little bit cautious news, the market kind of shrugged it off. So I think that's kind of the mindset right now. So momentum, you know, could continue in, the, in a very near term. And it might take more than one single you know, data point to, to stop the rally. You know, what could happen is if we get a you know, Fed chair, Jay Powell, gives a speech saying, we need to hike aggressively, The you know, financial conditions of ease too much. I think that would kind of, you know, bring this to a halt for the time being. So turning to the question, like, what should investors do about it, given this, you know, the, how much markets are rallied. what they could do, at least in the very short term, given some of the technicals and flows and sentiment, um, you know, especially if you're kind of fearful of chasing, I would say, you know, you want to focus on areas where there's kind of higher conviction of where the, the data will play out as investors are sort of assuming as opposed to end up being a head fake. So I think on the inflation front, you know, I would have more confidence. Investors think have more confidence that inflation will kind of moderate, you know, as expected. You won't kind of get a a head fake. And also that China's growth is going to kind of reaccelerate now that this COVID wave that they're dealing with is is over. Um, Because even in addition to reopening and dropping those COVID measures, there's also been sort of additional policy stimulus. So I think those are areas where you can have more confidence. I think in terms of the U.S. soft landing, it's still very much kind of a bit of a toss up. Uh, and whether the Fed will avoid making a policy mistake, I think that's an open question because they may are on the side of we need to be sure inflation is tamped out and we're willing to risk a recession. So I think the comfort that people are taking on, you know, the, the Fed not overhiking financial conditions easing, again, that could be a bit of a, a false view in terms of, of how the U.S. markets can do. Uh, so I think the, the relative conviction on like where we have, you know, things could be real versus fake. I think that's reasonable, but there's a lot of really noisy data out there. I think because of that, I think it's have hard to have high conviction on, on any sort of one of these particular views. Uh, and the markets, by and large, still are moving that direction. Particularly, I think U.S. asset classes with yields coming down and with equities, you know, now rising. If we think about fixed income, if we don't get a recession like the markets assuming, there's no reason for rates, at least you know, the, the ten-year point to fall much from its current level of around three and a half percent. At the same time, credit spreads are basically priced for no recession, and if one materializes even modestly. High yield spreads in particular are likely to rise, which is why we still kind of are, are kind of cautious on on taking much credit risk and sort of still recommend an up-in-quality view within fixed income. Uh, I think for equities, the message would be more kind of be kind of selective and be cautious and perhaps still a little more defensive. The s p is basically at 4000 and that's our price target for year-end. Uh, and equities, at least in the U.S., on overall aren't particularly cheap, um, but there are sort of pockets of value, including value stocks that are still relatively attractive versus growth stocks. Energy stocks have traded at significant discount to the market, and then if you look outside of the U.S., um, international equity markets are still cheap relative to the U.S. You know, China even after a strong rally is still relatively cheap, especially if the growth you know, accelerates this year, which is, is widely likely to happen. But I think for investors who are fearful of either adding to risk right now or chasing, I think that the near-term outlook is still that we're going to get market swings that we've had in experience over the past couple of months. The top of the range might be a little bit higher than we are, but I think there's also you know the impact for for lower earnings that are going to materialize this year lower earnings growth that hasn 't been fully reflected, so there will be opportunities to kind of add some exposure, but I think be cautious of kind of t- doing too much right now given how much markets have already moved this, this year, instead of pricing a pretty good fundamental improvement.
0: Well, Jason, as you've outlined for us, a lot of considerations when it comes to positioning in accordance with the current environment and accounting for how the first few weeks of the year have played out with respect to market activity. So thank you again, Jason, for the time. I will, again, refer our listeners, our clients, to your blog, title again, Real or Fake, which is available for our listeners up on YouTube ubs.com slash CIO. So Jason, thank you again for dropping by this morning and looking forward to picking back up with our conversation next week. You're welcome and have a good week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS chief investment office from UBS studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.